We thank you for tonight. Thank you for all that you give us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we can sit here in relative peace without threat to study your word, to talk about your word, to lift you up, to praise you, to think about you, um, and to encourage one another. We know so many of our brothers and sisters around the world don't have this privilege. So, God, we come here uh, recognizing what a blessing it is. So, God, help us make the most of this uh, time. Help us to set aside whatever's going on outside of this room and focus on what you have for each of us. Uh, give Keith your words as he leads us tonight. Pray you watch over us and guide us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, Captain. <laughs> uh, I, got, I got asked to lead uh, Bible study for Luke 4. And uh, I said yes, but I'm still nervous. So <laughs> we're going to take this slow. I'm going to ask everybody to help me out by uh, being ready to share any kind of input that the Holy Spirit lays on your heart, because I think that that will be best for this Bible study. So, since uh, uh, Luke chapter 4, it, it uh, references the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And so, uh, we're going to start in Mark. Chapter 1, verse 12. Mark, chapter 1, verse 12, verse 12 and 13, and I'm going to read it. The Spirit, immediate, this is after Jesus was baptized, and that's what we studied last week. Uh, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. It's the Cliff Notes version. That's Mark's story. Yes. That's Mark's whole book. Redacted. Yes. It's the Cliff Notes version of what we're going to study in Luke. So what we've got here is the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, and he was tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Okay, so this is what we know from Mark. And when we go to Luke, chapter 4, verse 1, it gives us a little more detail. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that it is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. So it's, it's, it's quite a bit more detail in the version of Luke. And, and uh, I read the King James Version because that's what I'm familiar with. And if you read the English Standard Version, it's only a little bit different. Uh, in verse 1, I think the King James says the Holy Ghost, and the King James uses into, versus the English Standard Version, which says the Holy Spirit, and, and the Holy Spirit sent him in, the, was with him in the wilderness, as to being sent into the wilderness. And then in verse 2, being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Has anyone got the ESV version up? Mm -hmm. like to read verse 2? Being tempted for forty days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. Yes. So, in, in, in both of these versions... He was hungry after the 40 days. Now, there's a, there, what, what's interesting about this account, and, and one of the things when I study Bible, is I try to find out everywhere where that appears. And there's another account, and, and it's, in, it's in the book of Matthew. And if we go to Matthew chapter 4, If someone would like to read the account there, verses 1 through 11, I believe. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you 
if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve only, and and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now when Jesus heard... That's that's fine. Yeah. It's interesting because that doesn't say... Like mine says, the devil left and waited for an opportune time. Right. Whereas yours said for a season. Yes. But this didn't mention any... And 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 I, and I don't want to make a, a a big distinction about the differences in the account because the accounts are the same in the sense that they're telling the same story, but from a different writer's perspective. Okay, uh, there is a difference between Matthew and Luke. Does anybody see what it is? How many temptations are there? Three. Three. Okay. Now, you you can read the account and you can say, you could conclude that there were additional temptations during the 40-day period. But But the list that is listed is these three primary temptations and those are the ones that I'd like to focus on tonight. Okay, but if you look at them, there's there's a difference between Matthew and Luke. Does anybody see it? Yes. They they switch the order of temptation. Yes, two and three are switched. Now I don't know if there's any significance to that. Okay, but but it is a difference, and when you see a difference like that, we should ask ourselves why. And, and I have to say that, that since I was asked on Sunday, I've been looking at it and asking the Lord why the difference, and nothing has come to me. The Holy Spirit hasn't revealed anything. And if, if anyone has any thoughts on why that might be, it might be significant. And then again, it might just be one author telling the same story, and there being a slight difference. So my footnotes say, because I was curious about the whole 40-day thing. I'm like, wait, he was tempted the whole 40 days? It only says three temptations after he was done fasting. But anyway, um, it says, both Matthew and Luke give a condensed recounting of only three specific temptations. Luke reverses the order of the last two temptations in Matthew's account. Luke occasionally ordered material logically rather than chronologically. Uh, Luke may have had some purpose for doing so here, perhaps to end his account of Jesus' temptation at the temple in Jerusalem, a very important location in Luke's narrative. So says John McCarthy. Interesting. So, So one is a logical order, and the other is a chronological order. Mm-hmm. And Matthew is the logical order? Matthew's the chronological, chronological order. Chronological order, okay. Which is unusual. Well, <laughs> because Luke is far more chronological. I mean, his, his writings are very, it's hard to say. So, at this point, I want to take and what we know when we read something in the Bible is that 
the Bible confirms what we read elsewhere. Yes. Okay? And so I want us to look, uh, let's start with Psalm 91, 11 and 12. And this will be the, the third or the second temptation, depending on which scripture. 11 and 12? Yes. Psalm 91, 11 and 12. When you have it, go ahead and read it. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. So... The, the psalmist is writing prophetically something that w is going to happen to Jesus in this temptation. Okay? Now let's go to Deuteronomy put into the test. Now, Masa. Does anyone know the significance of Masa? Where that occurred? What that is? Uh, didn't we... Didn't Pastor Frank go over that? Let's, let's, let's turn to Exodus 17 and look at verses 1 through 7. You know, the Blue Bible, Keith, it says uh, Masa is equivalent to temptation, the yes. place in the wilderness where he, the Israelites tested God. Okay, so let's go to Exodus 17, 1 through 7, and we'll see that place. Whoever has it first. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord. Encamped at Rephidim. That's how you say that. And there was no water for the people to drink. <clears throat> Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Okay. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders and of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarrels of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? 
So, so these temptations that Satan is plaguing Jesus with, Jesus answered with Scripture, and and the Scripture reference events. Interestingly, in this last case, in the wilderness. So what's the significance of the Spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness? Because the, the, the story in Exodus is a type and shadow, right? Or an indication of things to come. Mm-hmm. And Jesus fulfilled that by having that same temptation and not sinning. Okay. Now, these two temptations, okay, Jesus, Jesus uh, why, why do you think, we've, we've got Satan in the story, we've got Jesus in the story, and we've got wilderness and wild animals, and, and as we've read the accounts, it seems that the angels came afterwards to minister unto the Lord after all of the events unfold. So, so if we're looking at, at the content of the story, we have all the different parts that are happening. Why do you think that Satan picked these two temptations, second and third or third and second, depending on the scripture? Why, why these two? Which are worship Satan and leap from the temple, right? Yeah. The two are worship Satan and leap from the temple. From the temple. Yeah. Why, okay. why do you think Satan picked those? Let's, let's, well, the one about worshiping just seems so ridiculous. Yeah. To me. It's like, you're talking to God. You're saying you're going to give him his kingdom. It's like, well, I don't know. It just seems so ridiculous that Satan would even like go there. Yes, we're, we are talking about Jesus, the Son of God. And Satan is basically throwing it back in his face. If you be the Son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And he takes them up in the mountain. It's like, if you will worship me, all these things I will give to you. Well, and he's just... saying, if you're the Son of God, cast yourself down. Go ahead, Andy. You're gonna... Well, it just seems ridiculous to say he's like, I'm going to give you all these things. It just seems like well, he's tempting to prove it. And you guys are exactly right, because if you go to John chapter 1, Verses one and three. Okay, let's 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 see if I can. John chapter one verse three. I don't have it open. Verses one to three. We all know this verse, but let's read it. Let's read it carefully. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made 
that was made. So that speaks directly to what you just said. How ridiculous mm -hmm. it seems that since it was through Jesus that all of creation was made. What's going on here? What's Satan actually saying? He, 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 now, what I'm getting from this scripture is that Satan is saying, I took this from you. And I am going to goad you into sinning. <clears throat> well, would, it have, would also goad him into almost breaking, I don't want to say character, but breaking the form he was in where he laid down everything to be in the human form. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Because you can't from lightning, though. It's crazy. Is it because Jesus was willing to come to this earth as a lowly baby and to live as a man, would it be okay for him to short-circuit mm -hmm. the, the salvation plan yep. that God has set before him by stepping in and becoming God right. at that moment in time. It's not a good example if he does that. Well, so it's, it's not did, a good example. Did it also just burn Satan's bridges? Yeah, he was relegated to earth, <coughs> but Jesus chose to come to earth and be humble. I think there's a couple things here that are important to notice as well. You're dead on. I mean, this is exactly what we're talking about. Um, but there's also a recreation here of the garden. Uh, animals, yeah, Satan, man, that. God, you're going to get to that. Um, and I think the, um, the other thing here is just uh, Satan is acting like he's in charge, mm -hmm. but he's doing everything under the direction of God. Um, he didn't lead Jesus out there. Spirit did. So, yeah, interesting. Go ahead, and, sorry. And, and, and Jesus, he could have responded and put Satan in his place. But instead, he uses the word of God in the Old Testament to answer Satan almost with grace that Satan didn't deserve. He showed Satan grace by answering him the way he answered him. And he did not allow Satan to goad him into anger. It's okay to be angry, but but we cannot be angry and and sin. And and Jesus was not going to pick up the bait. He was simply going to quote scripture, and 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 while that's the content and somewhat of the context, how does it apply to us? Because because because. We know that Satan was tempting Jesus for the 40 days before the 40 days were accomplished. The Bible says that. And, and Satan comes at us the same way almost every day. And, and, and so 
And, and so this is an encouragement to each and every one of us that we need to arm ourselves with the entire gospel and with the entire word of God and with the... It, read, read back again Luke chapter 1, verse 1. What does it say? And Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Yes, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and in some versions it says, full of the Holy Spirit. And this is our, this is our only defense against Satan. Amen. Is that it, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. Particularly when he's coming at us. Okay. This, these particular scriptures, yes, but these particular scriptures, it's he was full of the scripture. And what I'm seeing here is that Satan came at him and used everything to break his manness, right? He came as a man, mm-hmm. right? And Satan was trying to get him to break his manness, okay? And and that would have broke what needed to happen later. Right. It would have short-circuited God's right. plan of salvation. But, but he used the scriptures. So I'm saying this is an example to us that when we're tempted, when we're frustrated, you know, when we're acting in our humanness, Right is to be full of the scripture mm-hmm. to to combat that. To right. Well, and I think I think what things really important there is that every other person would have failed that test because they didn't have the spirit. I mean, basically, you're right. She broke down every part of him that was human, and what remained was the spirit of God, and the spirit was going to worship God. It's just that simple. Uh, whereas people without the spirit are helpless against those kind of temptations. They wouldn't last a day in the desert. Um, and so it, you're right. It's important to us to realize that. And when you get to the point of knowing scripture, are you going back to Genesis 3 at all? Uh, no. I have Genesis okay. 25, 27 to 34. One of the, one of the problems and, and the difference in knowing the word, Eve's fall occurred because she didn't know the word. Okay. Satan tempted her, and when she tried to quote back scripture, she got it wrong. Okay, And so what happened was, she says in Genesis 3, Satan says, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's true. Neither shall you touch it, which is not true, lest you die. Okay, So part of, part of the problem was Eve didn't effectively quote scripture. Uh, because if you change scripture, it has no power, right? Whereas you see Jesus here under the temptation, animals, wilderness, you know, um, spirit of God, everybody's there. But when Jesus is tempted, the words come out exactly perfect. And that's why it's so important not to change scripture because the power is in God's word, not ours. And so when we memorize scripture and we quote it, we need to quote it correctly because Scripture that is incorrect has no authority or power. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so what Jesus did is he correctly, I mean, he quoted Deuteronomy. Okay, if my spiritual life depended on me quoting Deuteronomy, I'd probably be in trouble. But uh, he does it twice and he does Psalms once. So 
it's just important to realize, I mean, the power of the word of God is just incredible. So. Is, is there also something in here about taking the scriptures out of context? In, I, I almost get the feeling that Satan used scriptures. You well, know. Satan Satan constantly tries to, he, he uses scripture and he tries to manipulate it, okay? In fact, he makes a very broad statement here that all power has been given to him, which we haven't talked about yet. Um, and that's that's a problem because not all power has been. I mean, he, he claims things here he doesn't have. And that's what he does. I mean, he talks to Eve. He takes a little bit of truth and he spends it. Did God mm-hmm. say you can't eat from any fruit? They go, well, no, God said we could eat every tree we wanted, just not that one. Um, he does the same thing with Jesus or tries to. Um, you know, all the world's been given to me, i.e. taken from you. And I'll, if you worship me, I'll let you have some of it. Well, that's not true. Um, but we'll get to it. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to go to Genesis 3. Oh, sorry. But I was going to be Genesis 3, the first verse. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because... When we look at this scripture in Luke, there, there, there's two primary people involved, Satan and Jesus. And so if we ask the question, not to give Satan any credit, but if we ask who is Satan, we find him in Genesis 3, the first verse. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And then Satan basically lies to her when he says, Ye shall not surely die, because what he was telling her is, You wouldn't die instantly. But she would, in fact, surely die. So that gives us a little bit of how Satan operates when he tempts. The other verse that I was going to point to was Job 1, verses 6 and 7. And if you go to Job 1, 6 and 7... Whoever gets to it first. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. No, six and seven, that's it. Isn't it interesting? Because here, once again is an example of Satan throwing it back into God's face. Man, in the fall of the Garden of Eden, threw their lot in with Satan, so to speak. And Satan, when he presented himself at a certain season before God, God asked him a question, have you considered my servant Job? But he asked Satan, where have you been? And Satan said, I've been all over your creation. He, 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 is, he, he is working that in a, in a very horrible way. And, and what's important in seeing that 
is that what Jesus came to accomplish is to free us from the devil. And the devil is a liar and a deceiver and and he will try to continue to tempt us so that we cannot find salvation through Jesus Christ. And so and so what we need to do is recognize through these temptations that he used on Jesus how he is trying to do the same thing to us. Okay? Now, let's go to Genesis 25, 27 to 34. And, th- and to me, this, this I found this scripture, it, 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 it isn't the scripture that quotes the first temptation, the answer that Jesus gave in the first temptation, but it gives us, it gives us an example of what happens when man gets it wrong. Okay? And and we and and whoever has that, if you could read it, Genesis twenty Genesis twenty five, verses twenty seven to thirty four. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game, but Rebekah loved jo- Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I am about to die. So what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. It's interesting because many of us in that situation might do the same thing. And if you look at the parallel in, in this story in Genesis to the parable of, to, to, to the story, the, the truth of what Satan did in the first temptation to Jesus, he preyed on Jesus' hunger the same way Jacob took advantage of Esau's hunger. And, and, and so you have a situation here where your own brother essentially stole your birthright but you willingly gave it away because you gave in to the temptation of hunger and Jesus I don't know how many of you have fasted for more than a few days Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights by the account in Matthew. That, that, is, that, is, that is 
an incredible physical feat. And and the hunger that Jesus must have felt when he when when the three main temptations started must have just been beyond anything we could comprehend. I, 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 without going into any kind of the detail, I had a situation early in my life where I was asking God to help me with a situation and I fasted. But I fasted every day. And at sunset, I took beef broth because I, I, I would get some nutrient and some salt and I went 17 days. And I can tell you that yeah, about day five, you're, think, you're figuring, oh, this is a piece of cake. But when you got to day 17, and, and, and I was told that what I had been fasting for, I, I, was, I was going to be able to attain what I was fasting for, I was ever so glad to break that fast at 17 days. I was just... And so for Jesus to go 40 days and 40 nights without eating anything. It's like the, the, the pressure that he would be under when Satan said, you see that stone there? Command that stone to be made in the bread. And it goes right back to the second and the third temptation. Let's shortcut this, okay? We don't have to go through all of this rigmarole to save mankind. We can just shortcut this. We'll just, we'll just say, you're God. If you be God, command these stones be made bread. You can do it. And Jesus resisted that. Think on that. Think on how... Now, now take that a step further. Think on how much he loved his creation. Go back to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. And the Word was with God. Jesus was with God. And the Word was God. Jesus was God. And nothing in creation was made except through him and by him, Jesus, the, whole, the entire creation that God did was through Jesus Christ and by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. And he saw this beautiful creation that God had basically given to him, stolen by a usurper. And the only way that he could get it back was to humble himself and become a man and come to his creation, this earth, and live as a man. Not just as any man, as the most humble man that you could ever imagine. And offer up his life. And Satan, in these temptations, is giving him a way out, is giving him a shortcut is goading him into getting even angry at the creation for having put him through this. And yet Jesus' love for us 
transcends that. Wow. And his obedience to the Father. Yes. And his, and his obedience any to... Any day during that 40 days, he could go, yeah, I could, I could pop a hot sandwich in my hand. And He's a man. Right. But he also is God who has subsumed that. There's wild beasts out there. But he, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he, but he did do miracles to show his God side, but only when God told, he only did the will of the Father. Yes. So that's some serious. Um, not, you you know, I, I can. I, I just want this is an aside, but I just want to share this. I can only think of one miracle that Jesus performed that was you might say outside of God's will although it wasn't and that is when his his first miracle you remember his first miracle when he turned the water into wine who asked him to do that miracle his mother and he did it why did he do it for his mother because she was his mother did it help with the salvation of mankind? No, he did it because he was fulfilling scripture. What does this, What I think it's the seventh commandment, the only commandment with a promise. What does it say? Oh, Honor Lord. your father and mother that it may be well with you and that you will have a long life. And yet he knew that he wasn't even going to have that. But he still fulfilled God's laws. <laughs> Well, and I think I think it's important to say that he was within God's will doing that, yes. or he wouldn't have done it. Oh, yes. Otherwise, it's a sin. Yes. But yeah, and. Um, but he did say it's not my time yet. He says it's not his time yet, but he—I mean—he's not going against the father. If the father's no, will no. was there; he would have wouldn't have done it. He's clearly answering to his mother. Um, and the other thing is, you know, sometimes you got to be prodded into beginning your ministry when you've—you know—I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't know, but. Um, I mean, it is within his will, though, God's will, because Jesus never stepped outside his will. But I understand what you're saying. Um, that that first one almost seemed like he was coaxed into doing it. Um, and I think that's important. The other thing I think is important here, you may be headed to this, but um, Satan didn't tempt him with anything he didn't already have. <laughs> I mean, he knew he could turn stones into water. He knew that if he threw himself down, God would save him. And he knew that he already owned everything and everything was going to worship him. It wasn't like Satan had offered him anything new he already had all that and that's typically with us what satan offers us is usually something that god clearly could give us and clearly offers us um and it's not a, a struggle it's like yeah god can give me that if he wants um what he's challenging here is uh asking jesus to basically take control of what god does and when he does it and i think that's sort of the temptation we all have is um and i think the other thing to think about is um why did Satan wait to the end to use to tempt him these three ways? Why wait forty days? Because he was so hungry. I'm sorry. Because he was so hungry and seemed vulnerable. Yeah. When would Satan attack you? Vulnerable time. Yeah. I mean, when you're most vulnerable, or when you're most successful. Okay. Those are the two extremes. Um, sometimes when everything's going great, you think you're bulletproof and you got it on your own. You don't need God, and all of a sudden, I can't tell you the number of pastors I know who have had major moral and other failures on the back end of a huge success. Um, when everything's going poorly, you know you need God, you're, you're in there with God. When things go great, we all think we are our own God, and God's blessing us, so whatever we do, he's going to say is okay. Uh, that's not the case. So knowing when Satan would attack is important, 
And knowing the other thing is, and I'll just say, once you have a conversation with Satan, you're done. Okay, in other words, when you start rationalizing, talking, analyzing, whatever, Satan has, there's only one thing you do with Satan and you give him scripture. And he has to acknowledge it's true and he has to leave. Draw near to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee. So the important thing is, don't engage him in some kind of conversation like you can stand. He'll, he will wipe you out. Um, you do not have the skill set, uh, but God's word has the power. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He quotes scripture. Um, and Satan has to leave, uh, but he's going to come back. So, sorry, keep going. My bad. Can I share? Yeah. So the thing that I thought of when you asked the question about um, why Jesus didn't it would have been outside of his character because he was meek and my, I mean, he was meek. So he, he, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to, he didn't have to entertain Satan because he knew who he was. Right. So there, it was, it would have been out of his character to say, fine. Right. So well, and I think the reality, you know, Jesus is God and Satan is clearly not. So we read these conversations like they're this, it's more like this. Um, you know, Satan has almost no authority, power, influence except in his own little head, and he's already defeated, and Jesus knows that. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just think it's interesting that um, Satan only offered him what he already had, um, as if Satan was going to give it to him. He already had all that stuff. Yes, mm -hmm. Miles. Uh, something to go along those lines. Uh, you know, looking at this like we talked about without any preconceived you know, notions about it. It's almost as if Satan isn't sure of who he is because he begins each each temptation of if you are really the son of God. He questions his deity in every single one. Yeah, I think he knows who he is, though. I think I think, he's, I think he's sarcastically goading. I mean, basically what I think he's saying is, you know, you just got baptized. The father said, and you am well pleased, but here you are in the wilderness in your mind now, Okay. Not mentioning that the Spirit of God is actually who took him to the wilderness. That Satan only has authority in this world because God gives it to him for a time. And, you know, I think Satan is trying to play the, um, um, you know, if this is your world and you created it and you're the Savior of the world, why are you under my thumb right now? Um, and, you know, I think it gets to that point and we often wonder if God loves me and God is doing everything for me, why do I feel like things are against me? Why do I feel like I'm being tested? Why do I feel like I'm being oppressed? Why are those things happening? And the answer is because God's revealing and testing your foundation to you. Um, does the same thing here. Um, and Jesus comes out, you know, obviously um, without any uh, uh, issues. Uh, but I think, I think clearly... I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, Satan knows who the Son of God is. Uh, he knows who the child was. He's been trying to kill him since he was born. Um, you know, I, I just think that's, um, but I think um, what I think he's challenging is the Messiahship. Um, yeah, because clearly he's the second person of the Trinity. Satan knows that. I mean, they've been together for all of however long Satan's existed. Um, but now he's come down to earth, and I think he's challenging him, in a sense. But I get what you're saying. But I think I think there's sarcasm there. I think because he knows the word of God. I mean, yeah, one thing about Satan is he knows the word of God. He never misquotes it. He twists it, but he knows it. He almost answers his question though, and confirms his deity in saying, "Thou shalt not tempt 
Right. Yeah. Right. Because he's saying, why are you even tempting me? Right. Yep. Yep. It says that Satan left Jesus. Let when when Jesus said, "Get thee hence," and Satan left him for a season. And I don't have the answer to this. When did Satan next approach Jesus? Talking the time frame? Yeah. You think it'd be a quarter of a year? You would think four seasons. I don't know. Well, mine says an opportune time, so I don't. Yeah. Think, I don't think you take season literally. <laughs> well, I think clearly one time is in the garden. Yes, that's yes, what I was thinking. Definitely. I mean, clearly that's the time Jesus is most in agony, most in conflict. Um, yeah. And and how much of this was in preparation for that? Well, it says in verse 1, and this is what I'm questioning, it says in verse 1, in my translation, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. And so my question is, did the Spirit lead him into this conversation? Sure. No? The Holy Spirit's in total control of this entire thing. Yes. Yeah. And and so that, that has to, Well, I think there's a couple things there. I think one thing is um, anything Satan wants to do to you or threaten you with is also under the authority of God. There's no point at which Satan steps outside the authority of God, mm-hmm. right? So just like with Job, have you seen my servant? God, I mean, you have, he, Satan had to have permission to go mess with Job. Same thing here. God's going to work out his purposes. But Satan has been given time on earth to appear to be dominant. The Antichrist will come and be his Messiah sort of thing. and then, But in the end, he's already defeated. So really what's interesting is Satan is doing all this like powering up. Look at me. Look at what I can do. I'm going to tempt you. I'm going to try to ruin your life, you know, whatever. When actually the funny thing is, is that um, he's only doing what God's allowed him to do. He himself is already defeated. He can't touch us because we have the spirit as well. Um, but it's it's interesting to me that um, we give him so much credit for stuff. Um, you know, it's like if things go great, God's blessing me. If things go bad, Satan's attacking me. Well, first of all, you're too small and insignificant for Satan. Satan to actually be messing with you. His demons, yeah. Satan himself, he's dealing with Billy Graham's and other people. But I, I think the point here is that... Um, Satan is defeated. He can do nothing. He's already knows he's defeated. And all he can do is try to make us miserable. And the only way he makes us miserable is we allow it. Um, we don't walk around like the victorious conquerors that we are. We walk, walk around like sheepish little children afraid of Satan. Now, I'm not saying you call him out because he is more powerful than you are, but he ain't more powerful than the spirit that's in you. And so the point is, is that we have the confidence of the Spirit, just like Jesus did. And when Satan comes to us and tempts us, he's under the authority of God as well. And he's just manipulating situations to try to deceive your humanness. That's why you got to listen to the Spirit, right? And that's why you got to put on the armor of God, right? you got to protect your, all those things. So uh, I think those are really important. Go ahead. Sorry. So we, we, we 
we've gone over the content, and we've gone over the context, and we've talked about how it applies to our lives today. And, and there may be additional ways that it applies to your life, okay? But, you know, one of the things that we take away from any Bible study is that what is it that God wants me to change about me to be more in alignment with him and Jesus and his Holy Spirit? And so I, I came up with three. You may have others. But it's like, I am no match for Satan, particularly if I'm standing on my own. God's word reveals the wiles of Satan. And we have the Holy Spirit. And we need to be full up with the Holy Spirit to be able to say no to Satan. To be able to resist those temptations that come into our life. To, 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 to have the grace that Jesus wants us to have. To walk in such a manner where we are fulfilling God's command. Which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and getting to that means that we have to resist whatever comes into our life. I, I, I completely agree with Pastor. There are things that come into our life that are hard, that God is giving us to help us learn. But what's interesting about this scripture is we get to see up front, personal, how Jesus dealt with this issue. And the essence of it is, is we need to, to put on the whole armor of God and we need to call on the Holy Spirit to help us resist the evil in this world. Now, I don't know if anyone has something else that they'd like to share. You know, I mean, if, if this is spoken to you in a certain way that that uh, is an encouragement, I'm glad. And, and yes? Well, I think in looking at the other scriptures, um, which this doesn't specifically say, but along with fasting is prayer. And so the whole time that he's doing this fast, he's also in prayer. Mm -hmm. He's also in communication with God. Mm-hmm. And so that looks to us is that we need to have that same communication and that same prayer to be able to have that Holy Spirit to know, to discern what's going on. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's, yeah. That's the other thing here is this is the pattern of almost every believer. Um, if you talk to most, many people, um, it happened to me. Uh, you surrender your life to Christ. You think everything's going to go great. You think you're just got on top of the world, and then all of a sudden God takes you through a wilderness experience, and you wonder what happened. Um, and, you know, I know almost many, many pastors who are called into ministry will talk about the wilderness experience before the call. Um, and basically, um, for me, it was, um, I mean, I came back to Christ, and within a month and a half, started having these physical symptoms, and the doctor told me they thought it was ALS, right? And so I'm going, wait, wait, I just gave my life to you, and now you're going to take it? I mean, is that sort of like, what's going on? Um, 
but it's in the wilderness. It's in the dark times of your life, the difficult times when you define who you're really following and what you're really going to do. Um, you know, for me, it was a defining thing because it was like, okay, then it took me a while, but I got to the point where I was like, okay, then I'm going to do whatever you want me to do to your glory. Right. And so I knew after that, whatever I faced, I've, I've already been through the wilderness. I know what I'm doing. He took the same thing with the uh, Israelites. You know, there's a wilderness experience. And I think the important thing to realize is when you're in the wilderness, um, don't think something weird is happening. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit led them and Jesus into the wilderness and he, the God led them through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And spiritually, that's what happens to a lot of us. People go through difficult times when they have a chance to give up on God. They go through difficult times when there's a chance Satan can use to say, well, where's your God now, right? And I think in many ways, God is, at least for me, he was basically preparing me that, you know, there's going to be times in ministry when you're going to wonder where I'm at. And you can't worry about that later. I got to know you know now. And so one of the things that was very helpful for me was going through a wilderness experience when things got difficult in ministry, when I got to where I wanted to quit, when I got to where things just weren't what I thought they should be or could be, or when I get discouraged, I would just remember that he met me in the wilderness um, and that he's as faithful now as he's ever been. And, you know, we're going to go through difficult times and the wilderness is the time where you get prepared, you know, because how many times have you had somebody that they, you know, um, I ran a marathon yesterday, and you're like, wow, that's incredible. No, no, I ran an ultra marathon four years ago. That was nothing. Um, same thing. We go through the wilderness. God prepares us spiritually. And it's not that he knows. It's that we then know that we'll put him first when things don't go well. It's easy to follow God when things are going well. But sometimes what happens is you, you either get saved or you have very close time with him, and then you go through a spell where nothing's happening. And God hasn't left. He's just watching to see, are you here only because of the things I can do? Or are you here with me because you're here with me? And it always reminds me of um, teaching my kids to ride a bicycle, right? There's a point where you're holding on and then there's a point where you got to let go and let them eventually figure out they're doing it on their own. And I think the Holy God does that through the spirit with us. There's a time when he's really close to us, but then there's also a time when we wobble, we fall down but he has to let us experience in many ways our own spiritual growth so we can go forward. So this pattern of Jesus being led by the Spirit into temptation is one really for all of us. I mean, you have the Spirit of God in you and you're being led through this world, which is a tempting world. And your job is to surrender and quote scripture all the time. I mean, that's basically our job. And Jesus modeled it for us, like you said, perfectly. Um, I think that's really important to realize. That's why the Word of God is so powerful and so strong. Um, it's the only thing you have. Um, and I would encourage you um, that Scripture, draw near to the Lord, resist the devil, and he will flee. Those happen in order. Okay? If you resist the devil without trying to submit first to God, you're going to crash and burn. Um, you can't do it by yourself. can't do it. Because, um, now, the other thing is, and this is another point I just want to throw in. It's an honor to be taken to the wilderness. Okay. Why did he not do this halfway through Jesus' ministry? Why, why did he take him here? He just got baptized. He just came off the, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I mean, that's like the greatest thing in the world, and now Satan's got him in the wilderness. Why now? To hijack the ministry. Could have done it any other time. Could have done it after Cana. He could have done it halfway through his ministry. He could have done it after he had six disciples. Why did he pick now? 
What do you think? Is it he was on a mountaintop in the baptism? Well, he was. When when you're on the mountaintop, you kind of think that you're God. Yeah. Well, he was. <coughs> I think that Jesus needed to face and take Satan's best shot early to send a message to Satan. That's my opinion. Uh, I don't think Jesus needed to prove anything to anybody or have anything proved to him. He knew he was faithful. He knew he wasn't going to fail. He knew that he had the spirit in him. But I think in many ways it was like, I'm going to slap down Satan at the beginning. Um, and I'm not going to fail this. And when he comes the next time, I'm going to slap him down again. Um, I think that's important to realize. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. So yes, was there only two strikes or three yes. strikes you're out? Yeah, well, three is cross, <laughs> I guess. I'm yes. 80 years old. I'm probably the oldest one in here. I can tell you right now, I'm in the wilderness. I'm going blind. Mm-hmm. My husband has a very bad disease called mycenia gravis, and he's mm-hmm. not doing so well. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you the only way I make it through and overcome is with my Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. Mm -hmm. I'll get up at 5 o'clock in the morning while he's sleeping and get in this book. And every time God comforts me Mm -hmm. in this book and in the Word of God. Now, you think you're done? Oh, I've got it made now. I've got it made now. You're going to get as old as me and you find out you won't have it made now. (laughs) And that's the way it is in life. But you can go and overcome anything by faith. Mm -hmm. That's in 1 John. You can overcome anything with your faith. Fear, anxiety, I don't care what it is, addiction, whatever you got, you can overcome it. And every day, I'm quoting scripture all day long. And music is big in my life, isn't it? <laughs> She's at my house a lot crocheting. We got the music going, and it's Christian music. So, and her son is a wonderful, wonderful Christian music writer. And he's got one of, that says, Satan, you gotta go. It's a, one of the best songs to tell Satan, get thee behind me, I've ever heard. And I'd love all the homeless to hear this song. On Saturday night, okay? But I'm 80 years old. You're going to have wilderness experiences all the rest of your life. But you can't overcome by your faith. But keep that Holy Spirit working in your life constantly. Because it tells you things. It brings the scripture to remembrance. Okay? Yeah. That's in John 14. And that's mm-hmm. the power sword of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's funny how much you see, even though you're going blind. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God is good that way. Yeah, he is. Okay. Who wants to pray us out? Okay. Father God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, that you always tell us the truth. Thank you that you never break your word. And you never break your promises. God, help us go this week abiding in you. Help us to be mindful that you are there always. Emmanuel, always. And all we have to do is call upon you. We pray that you go with each and every one of us. 
the grace and mercy, and joy this week. In Jesus' name.